Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Andrew Giuliani wants to be the next governor of New York. Andrew Giuliani. I shouldn't fumble your last name because that's key here, Andrew. It's not that, Andrew. On the Red Apple Podcast Network, here's Andrew Giuliani. My next guest, one of Philly's proudest Kellyanne Conway, who I had the incredible honor to work with at the White House. Kellyanne, it's great to have you on the Andrew Giuliani Show. It's amazing, Andrew. When is the 5K? I want to join you. (laughs) It's at the end of September, Kellyanne, but I got to tell you, um, I don't know if I'm going to be ready for this thing because I've only gained like 10 pounds over the summer here just enjoying my time too much, and uh, I really need a training partner. That's what I need. Are you telling Are you telling America you have a dad bod? I, 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 I definitely have a dad bod. It's actually beyond a dad bod. It's like a grandpa's bod right now, so i got to get it's it to a, a dad, dad bod, bod to run. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well um, all joking aside, thank you so much for your continued support of and dedication to Tunnel for Towers and everything that means to so many families who I just last Sunday had an opportunity to be back down near ground zero. And it just, you learn something new every day and every time, every experience and just so moving. And we'll never forget that, that fateful day in our, in our world's history, our nation's history, and certainly America's mayor and his response there too. Well, thank you, Kellyanne. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think is so important for when, when you think about your kids and my daughter, obviously, um, and so many. I think it's like uh, something like 30 percent of Americans now were not born uh, on September 11th. So we need to really make sure that we are teaching this history moving forward. And Tunnel the to Towers does an amazing job. And uh, and you're absolutely right. Whenever I go down to ground zero, it's it's this uh, kind of incredible weight that you feel. But I want to get right into this, Kellyanne, because, you know, there's the word strategist gets thrown out around a lot. But I have to tell you, there is nobody that is sharper daily, every single day and on her game more than you. So I want to get right into it. What do you think about President Trump's decision to do a sit down with Tucker rather than doing the first presidential debate? I'd love for President Trump to be on the debate stage. It's his natural habitat, Andrew. It helped him win the presidential nomination in 2016. It helped him beat Hillary Clinton. I was there every step of the way. He had center stage at that first debate in Cleveland, Ohio on August 6, 2015. 24 million viewers. He had center stage. They were all going after him, including the Fox News anchors as is their job, and uh, and he acquitted himself so well under fire and never lost that, never lost center stage. You contrast that to four short years earlier in 2012 when, and even 2008, but 2012 when I think six or seven different Republicans had had the top spot, were number one in the polls at different times. Michelle Bachman and Rick Perry and Mick Romney and Newt Gingrich, you know, just went on and on. I think Ben Carson for a while. So, uh, or maybe it was Herman Cain, God rest his soul. But the point is, Trump became the front runner, A, because he was an outsider. People knew him and his success as a businessman. But he was the wish fulfillment of what people across this country were telling pollsters like me for decades, Andrew, which is, I want somebody with a ton of experience who's not in politics, not in government. It's like, well, who can that be? And there he was. But those debates helped because he was resilient. He was funny. 
he um, the the people who were trying to attack him with the canned lines, it did, it did, those punches just never really fell as squarely as those folks wanted to. Um, and also, I think he's got so much to say. He could say it in an interview on a different platform with a different um, host, no doubt. He could say it on his Truth Social platform. But there's nothing quite like the debate format. Right. And it's and I would say it's component of direct democracy that so that so many Americans who are going to start tuning into this with earnest because they need Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to not be there another term, not another day. Andrew, they're going to tune in and direct democracy demands that they are able to access their candidates free of charge instantly the same way a billionaire can access them, the same way any other American can access those mm-hmm. candidates. And it does make a difference to see him interact with the people that he's beating so badly in the polls. I understand why he's not going. It's not because he's a coward and he's afraid, as some of his opponents are saying. It's because he's a front runner. Mm-hmm. It's a front runner strategy. Why, you know, waste your time, quote unquote, and maybe lose some precious political currency? But I don't think he would. I think if he came to, and he knows how I feel about this, mm-hmm. if he came to the debate stage, he'd actually eliminate a few of them from contention. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I always thought that this was an opportunity to really show the difference between him and a couple of his main competitors, right? I mean, whatever you think about the records of some of the other announced presidential candidates, I think anybody who is unbiased has to look at the charisma factor. And there's nobody, at least in my lifetime, in the political arena that can come anywhere near close to what President Trump brings from a charisma factor on the debate stage. When you look at him and, let's say, a Ron DeSantis or a Mike Pence, whatever you may think about them or their records, it's not even close from a charisma factor. So do you think, then, that maybe he might change his mind and make a last-minute appearance? Or you think that this is in stone and he's doing this interview with Tucker? I mean, I know he likes to leave us all on the edge of our seat. It wouldn't shock me if he decides to make a last-minute turn and all of a sudden that plane is heading <laughs> to Milwaukee on Wednesday afternoon. Andrew, you know him so well, and I know you've known him your entire life and worked uh, in his administration all four years uh, and very ably and very cheerfully. Let me say this. It's politics. It's Donald Trump. Anything is possible. <laughs> and I did say I'm a Fox News contributor. Full disclosure, I did tell Martha McCallum, one of the debate hosts, uh, excuse me, debate two debate monitors, along with Fox News' Brett Baer. I was on a show a few weeks ago, and I said, Martha, if I were Fox News, I would keep that middle podium warm, <laughs> the mic hot, <laughs> the podium warm. And, of course, they, they've been very public about preparing two sets of questions. Uh, one, if Donald Trump is physically present there, and two, if he's not, because he's still going to be the most talked about candidate that night. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, if he shows up, it just reminds me, Andrew, of the convention in 2016 in Ohio, uh, a year after that first debate, returned to the uh, Quicken Loans Center in Cleveland for the convention. Mm-hmm. And Ted Cruz, who came in second that year, he um, he was giving a speech. It wasn't exactly in favor of, you know, full-throated in favor of Donald Trump's nomination. And as he was giving his speech to a live primetime audience at the convention, in walks Donald Trump and his, you know, beautiful extended family to take their seat. So where do you think the camera went? Where do you think the heat and light went anyway? So he knows he can he can make a moment. I think there's no substitute for showing up. There are other opportunities. The next debate, Fox Business has it, September 27th from the Reagan Library. That should be a great one. And but I I can see him zinging a few of these a few of these candidates with the truth about their motivations for running about why they can't they can't cut it and you mentioned charisma that is important but let me say this Donald Trump's got a record mm-hmm. and the reason he's high in the polls among Republican primary voters is not because they're a cult the way detractors who don't spend bigots really who don't spend a minute 
getting to know the Trump-Pence voters, 74 million strong plus. Um, it, it's because he has a record. People are saying, you know what? The presidency of the United States is a huge job. And I want somebody to do that job who's done the job. Because then I, it's a job description. I can see what the credentials are. I can see the record. And particularly pre-COVID, his record on energy independence and the economy and national security. Vladimir Putin, this guy tends to annex, well, not tends to, this guy annexes sovereign nations, Crimea, when Joe Biden is in the White House as mm-hmm. vice president. And he invades them, Ukraine, when, when Joe Biden is in the, in the White House as president. People like to say, I think if Donald Trump were still president, that Vladimir Putin would have done that. I'll tell you one better, Andrew. You and I were there every single day in that White House. Donald Trump was president for four years, and Vladimir Putin didn't do that. So we already have our proof. But people know what they see rather than the Democrats. And even some of these Republican contenders are saying they know what they see with their own two eyes. Crime is on the rise. Border crossings are on the rise. National security is imperiled. Our greatest friend in that region, if not the world, Israel, is being um, stared down by a nuclear-capable North Korea. The trade deals that were done are, are on the brink. Uh, people are suffering economically. A lot of these, a lot of these industries, manufacturing and construction and coal mining, uh, they feel threatened again because you don't have and anybody who works in oil and gas. Of course, you don't have a friend in the White House. So yes, all these look. The, the Republicans running against him are in a conundrum. On the one hand, Andrew, they need to attack Donald Trump. They need to say. He did a good job, but his time is up. I'm good. I sh- I'm a better. Here's why I'm better. They need to attack him hammer and tongue. On the other hand, they need to attract his voters. That is a near impossibility. Yeah. And it's not just that his base, quote unquote, is loyal. That is true. But he's got a base plus now. He's got a majority, a vast majority of Republican primary voters saying they want him. And head to head with Joe Biden, Donald Trump's beating Joe Biden in most polls. It's hard for Biden, Andrew Giuliani, to get past 42, 43 percent in most national polls. It's hard for him in some of these critical swing state polls to get past 43, 45 percent. That's a warning sign for the Democrats who don't look inclined to get rid of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and replace him with a ticket that more independents maybe could support, that more people, even more Democrats would feel enthusiastic about. So Trump's got a lot of advantage. Yes, he's he's facing uh, all these indictments, these legal woes, but his his base plus is solid because they are drowning economically. They feel America needs to be um, that obviously patriotism, but also national security, foreign policy. Mm-hmm. America needs to get back on its footing. America first was probably the best two word political quote slogan and, and movement building um, call to action ever, because even President Trump said at the time, I would think Emmanuel Macron thinks France first. And at the time, Angela Merkel says Germany first yeah. and Italy says Italy first and on and on and on. But if you're the American president, it is America first, not second, third, fourth, and certainly not last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And as he said, that's not America only. But to, to your point right there, you made a great point, which we have the facts on this, right? You see that under Obama, that Putin annexed Crimea. Under Trump, 
Nothing happens. Russia does not take one step forward, and you have 31 sanctioned un- under Russia, and now Biden gets becomes president again, and one year in, uh, you have a full-blown war. Uh, but that just shows kind of how crazy the media has gone. But I want to get into one other thing that you said, which is a record. And one of the things that I saw you, and you shined in everything that you touched your hands into in the White House, but in particular, which didn't get a lot of media attention, but I really think should have gotten more, which is the Opioid Task Force. And, uh, you know, the statistics behind this really were that for 30 years under uh, the former presidents, opioid deaths had gone up uh, from like 1987 all the way all the way through 2018. They'd gone up every single year in the United States of America. And in 2019, for the first time in over 30 years, opioid deaths went down and they went down by 17 percent. It's really an incredible and humanitarian accomplishment uh, that literally saved thousands of lives. And Kellyanne, you were the point person behind all of that for the executive branch. I saw President Trump say that I want you to run this thing. You did it, and you actually saw those numbers start to come down. So the question I have for you is, how disappointed are you to see those opioid deaths numbers go back up now under this current administration? And what do they or the next administration, what do they have to do to start bringing those numbers back down? It's completely devastating, and it's also avoidable. It's now a man-made crisis again. I don't think Hunter Biden's father is ever going to touch the drug crisis in any meaningful fashion. And his so-called drug czar, the vice president, who breaks records every day, Andrew Giuliani, by having uh, the lowest poll numbers, lowest approval ratings of any vice president since polling started measuring such things. That's the way she makes history. She's the drug czar. They keep giving her Russian titles to do absolutely nothing in these spaces. And it is a it is now a humanitarian crisis, but it is a man-made one. I want people to know that because uh, thank you so much for amplifying the work. It was the most important bipartisan work of the president's administration, in my view, because every single Democrat in the House and the Senate, every single one, including the ones who ran against him for president, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke, um, you know, Cory Booker, they all ran against him for president and they all voted in favor of the SUPPORT Act, that's an acronym, Mm -hmm. from 2018 that he signed into law, the largest single bill in U.S. history to tackle any one drug crisis. It was 50 bills put together. Usually when you add bills and pieces of legislation on top of each other, you lose support. We gain support because different people have been trying to do different things on the opiate and and polydrug crisis for years. But it's Donald Trump who got that done. By the way, Melania Trump, our first lady, she worked with President Trump on that. That was the major public policy issue they did together. And her public facing, raising awareness, raising resources, um, raising hackles when she needed to. In other words, raising ire so that people felt engaged. She single-handedly amplified, Melania Trump did, these NAS babies, neonatal abstinence syndrome babies. At the time, it's worse now. The stats are worse now, Andrew. But at the time, roughly one in 100 births where live births were a baby already born chemically dependent at 150 a day. And one thing that she did was amplify the work of place of, of um, organizations like Lily's Place in West Virginia, for example, where they try to keep the newborn and the mother together. Better for the newborn, better for the mother. You don't go stick her in jail when she just had a newborn. You find a way for her to get the help she needs. Addiction is not a moral failing. It is a disease. And what this administration needs to do is build on the work. We the whole of government approach. We had 13 different departments and agencies, everybody from the Veterans Administration to the State Department to USDA in rural areas to obviously HHS and FDA and uh, you name it. And the Solicitor General, uh, excuse me, the 
Surgeon General, at the time Jerome Adams put out the first Surgeon General's advisory in 13 years. And it was about the opioid crisis and fentanyl. But look, it takes will. It's a four-letter word called will. I wish I could figure out how to go run the whole thing for the country <laughs> in the private sector. I would give up everything tomorrow to do that because people are in need. This is the most indiscriminate epidemic we have roiling this nation. It, it, it crosses all racial lines, gender, geographic, socioeconomic, political, certainly. And, and we need to really focus on it. Now, one thing to do is stop allowing illegal border crossings, because along with the people coming here illegally, the drugs are pouring over our southern border. Yeah. They're coming through our mails, through our ports. Fentanyl is now the number one killer of 18 to 45-year-olds in our country oh. as we speak today, Andrew. That has to be abated. And then you have to invest in both prevention education, also treatment and recovery, law enforcement interdiction. I'll give President Trump enormous credit this way. You always had um, Republicans investing in law enforcement interdiction. Punishment, interdiction, seizure, that's fine. We need that. Mm -hmm. But you only had Democrats like Barack Obama investing in treatment and recovery. People weren't investing in all three, including prevention and education, making sure that if you prescribe painkillers for somebody who's just had a surgery, including our high school and college athletes, by the way, that you give three to five pills, not 30. If they need more, they'll get it. But it's those pills, it's those days seven or eight through 30 that are dangerous to keep those pills around. Yeah. Also, you just have to make sure that kids know the dangers. They know that fentanyl is being weaved into, is being added to cocaine and, and street pills. That kids are getting off of Snapchat. They, they need to know that. Um, and we also need to invest in, in recovery and treatment. We have been doing that. That was a $6 billion piece of legislation that President Trump signed into law. So thank you so much for amplifying no, it. The fight continues. Kellyanne, it's one of the things that I think, frankly, didn't get enough attention in there. I wish it would have. I think one of the reasons, sadly, why the media didn't cover it is because it was a bipartisan thing that, you know, they felt like would have made President Trump look good and the Trump administration look good, which at this point, who cares, right? We we, we all know people, Republicans or Democrats, that have family that's being affected by this. And, and you mentioned uh, high school athletes. I've known of multiple high school athletes that have passed away that were close friends of mine because Terrible. they ended up having an injury, and, and that's how they ended up getting into that. But I want to get a little bit into the media because there really is nobody who knows the media better than you and is more savvy than you on this. Um what are your thoughts on the current state of the American media and what do conservatives need to do over the next 10, 20, 50 years to have fair representation in the legacy media? It's tough. Yeah. And the media, as you know, um, they couldn't get enough of us uh, after I became campaign manager and was on the TV daily, as was Mayor Giuliani daily mm-hmm. as a surrogate for President Ross as campaign manager. And of course, they gave two billion with a B dollars of free media to Donald Trump and his 2016 campaign. So all that put together, uh, they, they regret that. They regret that because they never in a million years thought that what I was saying every day, so I've got a record of it, um, would happen, that he was going to win. I mean, I was on Morning Joe in late October 2016 saying he's going to win Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Um, that wasn't a pipe dream. That wasn't wishful thinking. That was our strategy unfolding and noticing, Andrew, that Hillary was ignoring Wisconsin and Michigan. And she went to Philadelphia with Beyonce and Jay-Z, pretending that all the people who showed up were there for her. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Even I'll go catch the con- free concert with you. Um, so anyhow, I say this because they looked at their, they, we so embarrassed them that they never forget, forgave or forgot. I'm absolutely convinced of that. It is their job to tell America what's happening and what's going to happen politically and in the election. And they failed miserably. So instead of 
as I said at the time, look, we're going, I didn't want to be press secretary. I didn't want to be communications director. I said no to those jobs, 45 minutes within President Trump winning and um, many times thereafter. But I was happy to help out with the press. He let me, he let me have a policy job. I say this because I said at the time that the Trump White House and the mainstream media are going to have joint custody of the nation for four to eight years. We better find a responsible way to co-parent. They were never interested in that. They're a bunch of deadbeat dads when it comes to that analogy. And they looked at their job, Andrew, as not getting the story, but getting President Trump. And they still look at their job as that. How many times have they predicted his demise? How many times have they said, this is a big one. The wheels are falling off. He'll be in an orange jumpsuit. (laughs) They said it so many times. They've clowned themselves. But they know that other than United States senators from safe states, red or blue, Nobody has better job protection than the mainstream media. Yeah. They really never lose their jobs. Nobody, name one person who lost his or her job over the 2016 election. Yeah. Being so chronically wrong every single day. No, they tripled down. They went looking for Russia collusion and never found it. The New York Times still Russia has their Pulitzer from that. They still have their yep. Pulitzer. They got their Pulitzer. Andrew, also, the state of the media now is their, their approval rating is way down. People don't trust them to be unbiased, to actually give the facts to be fair, to show both sides of any issue, of any discussion. And you see what's happening at a place like CNN, where I was a political analyst back in 1996. They put me on the TV map. Uh, That CNN is way gone now because the only way that you get to be a Republican on CNN is if you're against Trump. And if you were once for him or worked for him and are now against him, all the better. They don't need any other part of your resume. They don't need to know anything as long as that's what you're going to say. And look at the impact on the ratings. They're just reinforcing what they what their own voters want to hear and know. But the rise of podcasts, the rise of social media, the rise of, I, I think, media becoming part of direct democracy, the rise of conservative counter program, counter programming has really allowed more opportunities, not enough, frankly, but more opportunities for conservatives to at least have a seat at the table and express themselves. And one last point, because I said it yesterday, I was in Nebraska with some act, you know, with um, the Nebraska GOP. I'm going to say it here. My my audience is never, you know, was never Jake Tapper or, or Chris Cuomo or um, Chuck Todd. My audience are the people. Mm-hmm. And conservatives need to remember that. That's why these debates are so important. Yeah. Your audience is not the people asking the questions. It's the people who need the answers to those questions. Yeah. And we as conservatives need to remember that because I see a lot of folks just trying to zing, trying to have these arguments on Twitter all day. That's that's a sugar high with no meaning, no no nutritional value at all to the body politic. We have to have substantive conversations. It's harder to be us and them. They own the scare tactics and the sound bites. We own the substantive conversations about policy and principle. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Well, speaking of our audience, I think one of the biggest questions that I get 
Kellyanne. And sorry I'm not calling you Kellyanne Conway, but I actually Googled you today on the news just to make sure there wasn't anything trending, just to, you know, just doing my due diligence here. And you are one of the few people in America that can go by one name. You're Kellyanne. People know you <laughs> as Kellyanne. I just want to point that out. So, um, but, uh, what I want to know, and I think really what our audience wants to know, is come election month next year, and it's not election day anymore, it's election month, for these swing states that have seemingly gone more blue, Pennsylvania and Arizona, for example, both of those secretary states from 2020 are now the yeah. governor. Uh, what's the action plan where Americans can have faith in the outcome of the 2024 election? This is such a vital question, and one answer is to go vote early. And let me say to your audience, I don't like it. I don't like the fact that these COVID-compelled measures, once-in-a-century pandemic-compelled voting measures, exceptions to all the rules, have now been codified, institutionalized, and made permanent in so many places, including the states you just mentioned. So I don't like it at all. I'm old and old-fashioned. I go right to Bergen County in person. I vote in person. But here's the deal. We will not win elections unless we invest in and engage in the mechanics and what I call, Andrew, the non-sexy parts of politics. Mm -hmm. So that means, and the RNC has a really good initiative on this now that President Trump has endorsed. He said this is a great thing called bank your vote. And that's exactly right. To bank your vote early in states where you can vote early, like Pennsylvania, like Georgia, Florida, Iowa, most states now. Um, And and let me say this. We as Republicans, as conservatives, we're we're still telling people for whom to vote and why to vote. In other words, what issues should prevail and which should fail. The Democrats, they all but have abandoned uh, quality candidates. They just elected in the last few years Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and John Fetterman. I rest my case. <laughs> They're more interested in getting and, and, and retaining power. And the way yeah. they do that is not telling you for whom to vote and why to vote philosophically, but how to vote and where to vote and when to vote. Kellyanne and, and that. So no, go ahead. Go ahead. That. Sorry, no, I didn't we mean... have to compete with that. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think to that point right there, I'll make a sports analogy over here, right? During the Giants-Eagles playoff game last year, the Giants, the, the Giants didn't start trying to score till the second half. Republicans in that are not trying to score until Election Day. Well, Democrats are scoring for 30 days before that, and that didn't work out too well for the Giants in there. I'm giving you that question because you're a big Philadelphia Eagles fan, and this is probably the toughest question that you've ever received in all of media, and I've seen you get some tough questions, but how can Philadelphia, the birthplace of our Constitution, the second capital of our great United States, behind New York, I may add, how can the so-called city of brotherly love have such a lovable person as Rocky Balboa, albeit he's a fictional character, and yet at the same time, have a team as despised as as the Philadelphia Eagles. One word, jealousy. <laughs> Y'all are jealous <laughs> that we've got. I mean, Jalen Hurts, he broke records in a Super Bowl and his team lost anyway. Um, but, I, you know, we had the kids at the Super Bowl. We had a ball. My son and I were at that Eagles-Giants Saturday night playoff game. And my son said to me, he's got three sisters, Andrew, so he's, a cool cat, not you know, not allowed to have attention or opinions both days, right? He said, Mom, I think the two two people next to us are Giants fans. I said, Oh, how do you know? He goes, Well, they're sitting down staring at their phones and they're wearing brown and gray. <laughs> <laughs> and that gives you your answer too, because people are afraid to come to the link. They've heard all these stereotypes about Eagles fans, but we are loyal and passionate and we bleed green. And I'll tell you what, the Eagles schedule this year is the toughest I've seen in many years. So we'll see if they can do it. But I tell my kids, they were all born in New York City. Andrew, maybe you were. I bet you were. Mm -hmm. They were all born in New York City. And I told them, you can do anything, be anything, 
make your own mistakes, go and do, you know, we, we support you completely, but to be in this family, you must be a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Yeah. And they, and they've all uh, complied <laughs> with that. <laughs> well, you know, I love you, Kellyanne, but you're not perfect. And that's why you're an Eagle fan. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is. What, one final question before you go, what are you most proud of, of your time in the white house? Oh, that is a great question. I think I'd go back to the opioid crisis yeah. because, um, and maybe that in any work that we do with veterans and military spouses, veterans, active military, uh, because, and you've already covered the opioid crisis. By the way, I, I have a whole chapter on that mm-hmm. and how to continue and build on that great work from the Trump administration. Um, in my book, Here's the Deal, New York Times number one bestseller. You guys can get it probably bargain basement prices, but I, I have an entire chapter in there called, you know, The Crisis Next Door or Death Next Door. There's one chapter called Life of the Party, which is all about pro-life. And then the next chapter is about Yeah, so they can check it out. I'd say, since we already discussed the crisis, I'd say the work that was done on law enforcement, border security, veterans, active military, military spouses, um, biggest raise they got in many years, a president that said we're going to more deeply respect and more generously resource law enforcement. And Andrew, you know this came on the heels. And then during it came on the heels of an administration that was very hostile to law enforcement, a party that's outwardly hostile to law enforcement, to religion now. Um, it's a lot of re- two of the big reasons Hispanics are realigning with the Republican Party. And um, and then, of course, while we were there, you had people saying um, defund the police. That was a calling card of an entire political party. Kamala Harris herself, as a sitting senator, now vice president, gave money to that Minnesota bail fund. And we all see where that's gone and some of those people that it helped to support. So um, I think that because we take for granted every single day our law enforcement, the people who run toward the fire, who run toward the bullets for us all to be free and safe. And I'll, I'll, I guess I can end the conversation where we started. We started with Tunnels for Tower and 9-11 and Ground Zero. I had my teenagers in Normandy and Arab Manchester, you know, Omaha Beach about 10 days ago. Very moving. It's the best trip you could ever take a family on to see, just to witness that this happened in our lifetime. Uh, I went to uh, Normandy with President Trump four years ago over the 75th anniversary. I thought it was one of his best speeches, one of the most moving things imaginable. Yeah. And I, so I guess I'm proud of that. Just the, the fact that there, unfortunately, Andrew, it used to not be the case, but there seems to be a bright line distinction with a difference between the two major political parties now on supporting law enforcement and the police. And if you don't believe me, see all these DAs like Philadelphia's Larry Krasner, like George Gascon in LA, like that Casey Abudin who got recalled in San Francisco, like Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. They tell you, Kim Fox in Chicago, we're not going to prosecute certain crimes. Here's the list. And we hear that and feel demoralized and victimized. You know who else hears it? The aspiring criminals here and say, terrific. I'll be right there. Well, Kellyanne Conway, thank you so much, really, for taking the time and joining us. I know you were, I know you didn't want to agree to this because you thought you might get stuck on a plane like you did at my wedding, sadly. Uh, but I I felt so bad for you. I I was like, oh my God, I felt so bad. But, but you still gave the gift. So that why it it was okay because you still ended up giving the gift, most important. And your daughter, your wife is incredible. Uh, God bless you. You know, the wedding's one thing, but Everybody should focus on their marriage, not their wedding, for sure. Um, but also, your daughter is just the oh, best thing you. that ever happened from that union. So right. God bless you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. 